This is Issues 2021. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Wendy Glick, Executive Director, Catholic Charities of Wichita. Welcome to Issue 2021. It's great to be back, Steve. Thank you. You know, the pandemic has had a huge impact on our nation's health, education, and business. It's also been tough on those who are dedicated to helping those in need, such as yourself, generally speaking. And Wendy, how has the pandemic, now generally speaking, how has the pandemic impacted Catholic Charities? You know, it, um, strangely enough, has been a blessing to us um, because we're in the, the business of serving, and we got to serve even more people during uh, the 2020 and then winter of 2021 time um, when everyone was really um, sheltering down and, and not out and about doing social things, and um, that meant that more and more people needed the services like we provide here at Catholic Charities, and so um, it was a tough time, but it was also, as I said, a time of great blessings because we were able to serve more and more people than we have in the history of Catholic Charities here in Wichita. So that's the general speaking, but how about specifically on you and your people and your volunteers? Was it tough in that way? Yeah, it was very tough. Um, you know, of course, we're a caring ministry. All of our different ministries um, are approaching people with trying to first and foremost share God's love and then meet their physical needs. And um, with that, we like to do a lot of hugging and, and a lot of patting people on the back. And, you know, we had to social distance. We couldn't um, use that model or operate in our, our normal ways. And, and we had to find other ways of being being able to show people that they're valued and that we care for them and that we're there to help them through this challenging time. Uh, and that was hard. That was hard on our staff because they're used to being able to, to share that physical touch in an appropriate manner. So um, just, yeah, just kind of we had to change just about everything that we did and how we did it. <laughs> how, many, how many programs and services operate under the Catholic Charities umbrella, Wendy? Yeah, we have 13 programs. Uh, most of them are located here in the Sedgwick County area, but we do serve all 25 counties of the diocese, which is South Central and Southeast Kansas. We have a small satellite office down in Pittsburgh, Kansas, um, where we help with rent and utility assistance in order to prevent homelessness. Uh, and we have two programs that serve all 25 counties, um, offering services to victims of domestic violence and to veterans. Um, so we have a big handprint, footprint, lots of impact um, throughout all of South Central and Southeast Kansas. Do you, do you know how many lives you may touch in a, in a typical year, Wendy? Yeah, absolutely. A typical year is usually between sixteen and 18,000. Um, during COVID, we got up to in excess of 22,000. And those are unduplicated. So that means if an individual got multiple services, whether it is they came to our food pantry and they stayed in our shelter and maybe they received counseling, so they touched three of our programs, we only count them one time. So when we give you that that 22,000 unduplicated number, we were busy last year. So mm-hmm. it, um, it was a good year, but it was an exhausting year as yeah. well. Now, are your services only available to Catholics, Wendy? Absolutely not. 
<laughs> with a capital N. Okay. Um, in fact, 80% of those that we serve um, are not Catholic, and that is true of our employees and staff as well. Um, 80% are non-Catholic. Uh, we don't ask people what their faith tradition is or if they even have any faith tradition or beliefs. Uh, we are here to provide services such as um, feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, protecting domestic violence victims and their and their children, the survivors of, of that. Um, we're here to counsel. We're here to help immigrants get their legal documentation. Uh, and one of the programs that we have really focused on during the pandemic was um, expanding our capacity to serve individuals, adult individuals with disabilities um, and seniors with Alzheimer's. Uh, we've had a small program called Adult Day Services since 1975, and it has steadily grown over the years such that we needed a new building that could do better, provide better services and, and allow us to provide um, a better quality of care during the time that the adults with disabilities and, and seniors are with us. And so construction went on all during the pandemic, and we opened on April 13th of this year, and uh, we are loving it. It is just a great facility, and uh, it's called Adult Day Services, and we invite anybody that has a loved one that they're caring for or knows of somebody who is caring for a loved one with disabilities or Alzheimer's to give us a call, and we'd love to give you a tour and let you know more about the program. Yeah, and I want to talk about specific programs and what they provide. You've mm-hmm. already you've already told us about one, so I'm going to run through a couple of him, a couple of sure. the programs here. Tell us about uh, our daily bread food pantry. Yeah, um, it is our food pantry. It's located at 2825 South Hillside. It is the one program that really spiked in the number of people that we served over the pandemic. Um, we provide up to about four days of food for um, individuals or families who are struggling to make ends meet. Um, there are no uh, eligibility requirements. We do require that people bring documentation such as a photo ID and proof of the size of their family with, you know, whether it be um, medical cards or social security cards, because the amount of food that they are able to receive is based on the size of their family. Um, And the frequency that folks can go is one time a month. Uh, As I said, that program really spiked during the pandemic because so many people were out of work. And we had to um, transition from what we call our client choice model, which typically we allow folks to come in and shop and select the food items that they want to take. During the pandemic, we had to do it as a drive-through model. And so people just drove up and they told us how big their family was and we gave them a pre-prepared package of food. But as of this month, we went back to the client choice model and uh, it's going very well. And we feed about 1,500 families a month out of that program. Now, in the pantry, do you get any help uh, or breaks or <laughs> from uh, local retailers or groceries or we get a lot of our food from the kansas food bank warehouse they're our our best partner yeah and some items that we get from them are free um, but some items we do have to pay for um, but it's very affordable we pay 16 cents a pound for the things that they do charge us for 
um, and that is much more economical than, you know, going and buying a case of green beans at, at Dillon's or Walmart or something along those lines. Yeah. So a lot of times we ask donors to donate money versus going out and shopping for us because we can really get more bang for their buck um, by by shopping at the food bank. So, yeah, great partners there with us. Yeah, I know you do a lot of work with homeless. Uh, tell us about mm-hmm. rapid rehousing. What is that? Yeah, so a number of years ago, the federal government began to dedicate some of their federal dollars to helping um, organizations find permanent housing for people who are homeless instead of putting them in a congregate living site like a homeless shelter. Um, and so folks who are eminent, on eminently becoming homeless or maybe already are homeless can come to us and we can help them find uh, affordable permanent housing and help with the first month or so with their rent and their utilities, um, at the same time providing case management services to really help them find, if they don't have a job, get a job, or if they do have a job, possibly a, a better paying job. And, um, and again, that's a federally funded program, and we are one of the recipients in our community that get those dollars in order to help people not be homeless. Okay. Wendy, what is the, uh, what is St. Anthony Family Shelter? It is one of those congregate living sites. Um, it's one that we really talk a lot about because we need help with funding because there is not federal dollars to help fund emergency shelters, but there's still a great need for them. And the uniqueness of St. Anthony Family Shelter is in their title, um, we only take families there. So no single individuals. You have to have children and either be a single parent with kiddos or a married couple with kiddos. Um, And uh, really about 80% of the clients there are under the age of 12. So um, as soon as they come into shelter, we have 13 living suites that they are assigned a suite to live in that has its own private bathroom and bedroom and a little sitting area. Um, But while they're in shelter, we provide them all their meals, all of the hygiene products that they need, um, and again, provide those case management services to help help them find permanent housing and not be homeless and um, better employment, uh, helping them get beyond the many barriers that they might have. Um, One of the things, a lot of folks that come to us just don't even have any ID, and so they can't um, get a rental agreement or, you know, can't sign up for some of the the benefits that our state offers if they don't have have an ID. Um, So just helping them get that ID and and allowing them to stay there, because that takes a couple of weeks for that ID to get processed and come through. So um, a very busy place. We serve, um, you know, over 600 families annually a year at St. Anthony Family Shelter. And you support, uh, you have support for veterans' families, right? We do, and that's similar to the rapid rehousing program. So, again, federal dollars that come in, um, it's targeted to um, end homelessness among veterans. We work 
work closely with the VA as one of our referral sources for that, as well as just local law enforcement, anywhere that the the homeless might hang out and find out if those individuals um, have a good uh, record, uh, service record. They have to have been um, an honorable discharge and, and had to have served at least for 24 hours in some sort of official duty, but then we can help them with dollars to, again, similar to the rapid rehousing to pay for rent and utilities and find them um, the appropriate housing and uh, employment so that it's sustainable. You're listening to Issues 2021 on the Odyssey radio stations, and our guest is Wendy Glick, Executive Director, Catholic Charities of Wichita. You talked about disabled adults and uh, seniors, the adult day service. What about foster foster grandparents? What's that? Yeah, we're really excited that school's going to be back in session because our foster grandparents are actually uh, volunteers that work in the schools. We have about 80 foster grandparents, and they're placed throughout USD 259, um, the public schools, along with some schools in the Derby and Hayesville area. And they're just that extra set of arms and eyes and voices for the teachers who are really working with Um, the kiddos, uh, mostly kindergarten to third grade. We do have some foster grandparents that do work in some middle school settings as well, but they provide that one-on-one mentoringship um, and help children who are lagging behind. And we know because of the pandemic, a lot of children are behind the standards as as it relates to reading, math, and and some of the other sciences. And um, so when school gets completely back in session. I know we had a little bit of it here at the end of 2021, um, but for the next school year, we know that those foster grandparents are going to get back in those schools and be able to provide that hands-on mentoring and uh, assistance to the teachers um, that is so needed to get those those kiddos that are lagging behind the standards um, up to speed so that they can continue to excel and, and learn at the same level as the other kids that aren't struggling as much. You do a lot of work in the area of domestic violence. Tell us about Harbor we, House. Yeah, we do. And and we're very known, at least Harbor House is very known. Um, it opened in 1992, uh, and we are in our current location. We've been there since 2007. It's a confidential location where women who fear for their lives, literally, and men, we also take um, victims of domestic violence that are males, into shelter. Uh, If they have children in their family, we also bring the children in with them and provide everything that they need, including counseling. Um, Usually when uh, a survivor comes into shelter, some of the first things that they want to do is just take a shower and sleep um, because they've been in an environment with their abuser that, you know, they were just not allowed to sleep or not allowed any kind of privacy. Um, But at Harbor House, that's a lot of, you know, just that normalcy that we try to help them return to. Uh, And then part of the staff is both a child counselor and an adult counselor. So working with their mental health needs, 
helping them find uh, employment. Again, ID is a big deal for a lot of the women, uh, helping them get, you know, their, their identification so that they can sign up for benefits and, and get employed. Um, in addition to being a shelter, it's more than just a home. We do outreach services for some women who are trying to break the cycle of domestic violence. They don't need shelter. They might have family that they can go stay with, or they might um, relocate even, you know, several blocks or even cities away, and we can still support them through our outreach services, um, both in person by meeting them, you know, in a public arena or a public place, or just coaching them and counseling them over the phone um, as to what a good safety plan would be. Um, recently, we just worked with a woman, and, and it had taken quite a bit of time to safety plan with her, and one of the things that she was so concerned about was she knew her abuser had um, had some sort of tracking device either on her phone or in her car, and it turned out being both, he had installed an app on her phone that he could track her wherever she went and then had one in her car also. So we safety planned with her to, to not come to the shelter to park her car somewhere else, and we would come and get her. And uh, we have our IT guys that can check out the phone and make sure that they remove that tracking device so that that abuser doesn't find her and, and really help give her the tools to, to break that cycle. Wow. So um, th- those women and, and the few men that we take into shelter, um, the pandemic was really, really rough on them um, because there was so much isolation. Um, they weren't able to get out, um, so they we, we saw much severe levels of abuse, both both physical and psychological, uh, as they came to us for help. Wendy, what is uh, what is the Safe Project? It's an outreach prod, uh, project helping women with domestic violence uh, assistance. Again, they don't come into shelter with that because it's outreach. Um, SAFE is an acronym that stands for Safety, Advocacy, Finance, and Education. Um, And it is a a partner collaboration with the Department of Children and Family. So if a woman comes into the DCF office to sign up for uh, any kind of benefits and in the case management interview, view, they um, share that they are in or have been in a domestic violence relationship, then that DCF caseworker will refer them over to our safe caseworker, and that opens up additional opportunities for them to get more assistance. Tell us about outreach and disaster recovery. Yeah, praise to God, we haven't had to um, activate that particular wing of our organization, um, but we are among the early responders whenever there is some sort of um, catastrophe or weather incident in, in our area, um, tornado, flood, anything along those lines. Um, we're a part of VOAD, which is volunteers who are active in times of disaster, and And um, typically the Red Cross and the Salvation Army come in for the first two weeks and do the um, first responder types of things um, to help provide people food and shelter. Um, But then we come in at the end of those two weeks and we work with people on a long-term basis to get back to the place they were at the time that the disaster started. So we have the 
ability to get additional dollars from FEMA and from our parent organization, um, CCUSA, Catholic Charities USA, um, to help people with whether it be moving expenses because they need to move what belongings they still have into a new place or help them get into a new place, help pay for medications, help replace any kinds of things, again, that they had at the point that the disaster occurred. Um, and um, those weather patterns are a change, and, and, and we're, we're really glad, um, you know, as I'm sure others in our community are, that we've not been hit. But uh, if and when we do, then we'll kick into action. Tell me about your volunteers. Yeah, we have awesome volunteers. In fact, uh, if I can go backwards a little bit to talking about our daily bread, um, with that client choice model, those volunteers are really the ones that guide the uh, clients through the project and, and help them make those food selections and carry their groceries to their car and all of that kind of stuff. Um, last year during the pandemic, um, we served close to 18,000 people out of, out of that little food pantry, and we have one staff person. And then um, the rest is is really managed by volunteers, 40 to 50 volunteers that come in and and do the work and sort the food and and assemble the bags and all of that kind of stuff. Um, We have volunteer opportunities in all of our programs. You know, if you want to um, practice learning Spanish, there's opportunities for you to work in our immigration office and and really use those um, bilingual skills that you might be trying to to develop. Um, We have opportunities at the shelter to um, mentor some of the adults that are trying to learn financial literacy and to write a budget and and um, things along that that kind of higher level volunteer interaction but then we also have lots of kids and we need help taking care of the kids and entertaining them and um, lots of stuff going on this summer in both of the shelters with the children so Wendy, Wendy I'll interrupt you a little bit we're gonna get low, yeah. on, low on time here sure. <laughs> the big we about, do a lot so it fills up fast uh, tell us about the impact on donations to Catholic charities. Did, did have you need you need some help that way? You know, we are just now seeing um, that we need some help. Uh, again, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, we were very, very blessed. Um, our food pantry was a recipient of a lot of the generosity that Feeding America received via the food bank, the the money from Jeff Bezos and, and some other areas. And, and so it really helped us get through the pandemic without um, really having much of a negative impact on our bottom line. Um, but now as it's beginning to um, kind of fade away, or at least the, uh, the immediacy of, of the need, um, we still need to get out there and tell our story, and we're still serving people. And so uh, we have what's called the Faithful Servant Fund, and that is a fund that you can just donate to Catholic Charities and trust us to put it in the best spot that we need to put it in uh, as far as our different 13 ministries. Or you can pick out one of the ministries if you have an affinity for that, and a lot of folks do. A lot of folks want to give to feeding the hungry or want to or want to serve domestic violence victims, you can direct your gift to that, too. So just go on our website, catholiccharitieswichita.org, and you can see all the opportunities to volunteer and to give. What's the biggest challenge facing you today? Today, biggest challenge. 
Gosh, I, you know, I am blessed, and Catholic Charities is blessed. Um, I think for us, it's just maintaining and continuing to do the good work that we do. Um, we are in the third year of a four-year strategic plan, and we are focusing on program excellence. And so how can we take the good things that we already do and make it better? So you, and, I know you started out, you started out a private, a private business and industry, but... You transitioned into this, but uh, it's been a, re- a rewarding uh, career for you here. With the it has been very good, yes, um, and it is very rewarding. And and I, that was what was hardest for me in the pandemic, is I couldn't be out in the programs and see the great work that we do because we didn't want to take any kind of germs that we might have from our office building into other programs. And so, um, you know, working in for profit was great. It was nice to um, see that the bank account grow, but in the work that we do in not-for-profit, it's really nice to see the impact you have on people. Wendy, thanks for spending some time with me. We'll probably talk to with you again when we get closer to the holidays, and it's always a pleasure to find out what's going on with Catholic Charities and what's going on with you in your life. So, hey, it looks like we're going to get back to normal. Thanks again for being with us here on the issues, you, issues 2021. Our guest is Wendy Glick, Executive Director, Catholic Charities of Wichita. That's all for this edition of Issues 2021. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.